Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim's Equine Health Solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGAS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com company contact. Welcome to another episode of AAEP Practice Life. Uh, my name is Jessica Dunbar, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Dr. Mike Pownell. How are you, Mike? I'm really well. How are you? Uh, doing great. You know, uh, we're recording this in the middle of September, and seeing you and, and seeing the faces of our guests that you'll introduce momentarily, I'm getting really excited all of a sudden for the convention, because all of a sudden <laughs> we're getting to see people. So it's not just Absolutely. talking over internet we're getting to see people so that's exciting i digress absolutely yeah i've got my hotel room and flights so i'm ready for aap as well well tonight we have a a great topic we're going to be talking about support staff and how we can um, increase our efficiency with our support staff we're going to get into some details there before i jump into introducing our guests I'd like to thank Beringer Ingelheim for their support in making this podcast possible. So we have three lovely guests uh, joining us. First, I'd like to introduce Dr. Kelly Zatonian from um, California and have you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice. Hey there. Thanks for having me. I am feeling like a slacker because I don't have my flights or hotel room just yet for the convention, but I am excited. I have an ambulatory practice in Northern California. We're currently a six-doctor, two-location practice, mostly focused on sport horses, but we do a little bit of everything. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us this evening. And next, I'd like to hop over to Dr. Brigitte Gravitt from Florida. Tell us about you and your practice. Hi, thanks for having me. I am based out of Southwest Florida, and I'm actually part of a corporate practice that's a mixed animal practice. I work exclusively equine, but my colleagues will see anything. They're amazing. So we have five doctors, and we have a small animal clinic, and then an ambulatory equine sector. Wonderful. And we're going to get into uh, details about support staff that each of you have as we go along in this conversation. But let's introduce our third guest, and that is Dr. Bridget Heilsberg uh, out of Texas. Hi, everybody. Hello. Thank you so much for the invitation to participate in this podcast. I'm completely honored. So I am a solo equine practitioner in North Texas. And if you know anything about Texas, different areas of Texas are like different states. I'm about an hour and a half north of Dallas. That's the area called North Texas. Just me until October 3rd. Actually, we just launched a new DVM who is going to be doing completely small animal mobile. I am totally mobile. I have one very small area to haul into and that's it. So really excited about that and 
holy cow, here we go into the small animal world. It's been just me and equine since 2016 and got to go where the market says to go. Congratulations on that. Thanks. That's a big move. It's a huge move. I'll hand it over to Mike now. Yeah. So Brigitte, we'll start with you. Tell us about your support staff situation in terms of how you're using your support staff. How many do you have in your practice? I always tell everyone that I'm spoiled because I just have so many people to help me. We have, you know, a handful of receptionists at our clinic and they do everything scheduling wise, small animal and equine. And more recently, in the last six months or so, we actually hired one person to be my equine point person in the clinic and we call her our equine coordinator. And then I am extra, extra spoiled. And then I actually have two assistants that ride with me every day in the truck. So I am very well helped. That's awesome. Excellent. And Bridget, yourself, because that little preface, I first met Bridget at the AEP last year and Jessica was in the, we were at a table topic and Bridget was talking about how she was a solo practitioner and she had more support staff than most group practices have. And I'm like, this is interesting. So uh, tell us all about it, Bridget. Like I said, you know, I'm solo equine and I actually have a staff of eight. So I have one full-time receptionist, one part-time receptionist, a practice manager who is the practice plate spinner who does absolutely everything. And then I rotate through several part-time technicians and I have a single full-time assistant who is my facility manager, quote unquote. And she basically coordinates everything in and out of the office, horses that come in and out of our very small little brick and mortar location. Huge staff. I have a huge staff. Then with adding in the small animal practitioner, she will get her own dedicated technician as well. And if it grows like I anticipate it's going to grow, she will also get a dedicated receptionist that will work full time. And Kelly, tell us about your practice. We have currently three office admins that all work remotely to support all of the scheduling aspects of of practice. And then we have six veterinary assistants and one veterinary technician, a registered technician. So the ratio ends up being kind of a two to one support staff to full-time equivalent doctor on the team. That's great. And this conversation, we're including technicians, assistants, receptionists, or schedulers, lumping everybody into our support staff that we so value. The next question I'd like to ask is, how do you select your support staff and what characteristics are you looking for? This is probably in reference to to the techs and assistants that are helping us hands-on horses. Let's start with you, Kelly. How do I select them? (laughs) It can be really challenging. I mean, I think we are facing many of the same attraction and retention issues for our support staff that we are for veterinarians as well. A couple of the strategies that I think have worked best in our clinic include taking on externs, you know, undergraduate students or pre-vet students. They oftentimes are the hardest working and most invested in, you know, integrating into the team and being a huge part of it. Uh, So we've been very successful in that aspect. I also am a part-time instructor at the local vet tech college. And so I have kind of first pickings of anybody interested in equine whatsoever. And 
have some really wonderful team members that have come out of that program. So that's how I sort of find them. And then to kind of answer the bigger, but how do you pick people that are going to be a good fit? I think the, the biggest thing that we're looking for are really individuals that are trainable. We have to be willing and open to take on individuals who maybe don't have the veterinary background or have the veterinary background, but not the equine background and be really open to bringing them on board and giving them the opportunities to succeed. So we really try to focus in on trainability above, you know, having all of the skill set ready and waiting for us. Perfect. And I like your strategy of, or maybe it wasn't a strategy, but how you have a, a pool of students from the tech school. That's great. Don't tell any of the local practices. I've got first names. <laughs> <laughs> just five of us. We're five. Yeah, We're good. Exactly. <laughs> That's wonderful. Gosh, I, I just have to say my assistant, I spend more time with her than I do my significant other. So it's uh, nice to pick a person you, or, or more than one person you mesh with well. Let's switch over to Brigitte. How do you select your support staff or what characteristics do you look for? You know, having so many support staff has been really helpful because they don't all have to be good at everything. So we kind of can just take whoever is willing to work and wants to learn and we can figure out what they're good at. So a lot of times we'll steal people from our small animal clinic and it's actually become a thing. So many people want to come on the road that it's they have to earn their way to the truck. I also, as well, I had an undergraduate who came and interned with me for 10 weeks, and now I roped her in to work with me until she gets into vet school. Nice. Yeah, we get a lot of a lot of help that way as well. That's great. Thank you. And Bridget, what are your thoughts on selecting support staff? I'm very similar to, to Kelly and Brigitte with it's all about trainability and good fit because you do, you know, just like you said, Jessica, you spend more time with the people in the truck with you on the ambulatory side than you do with your significant other and with your family. I'm a little bit different. Just as a, a quick background, I was in the military for several years before I got into vet school. And so I approach everything from the concept of mission-oriented and team-oriented. And if you don't have a solid team behind you who knows what their job is and can perform their job to the top of their ability, then the mission is going to fail. And so if the mission is success in veterinary practice or whatever that success may be to you, whether that's uh, financial success versus just getting home at a certain hour every day or a certain feeling when you end your day, if the mission is success, then you have to move forward and select your team based on existing team members' strengths and weaknesses. Find somebody who then complements and has different strengths and different weaknesses than existing team members, existing team members' skill sets and not skill sets, and then always keeping the mission critical in mind. One thing that I think we have poo-pooed on in veterinary medicine that I think we shouldn't is I have zero problems headhunting. Zero problems. Cold calling somebody and being like, I think you would work very well in my team. I don't do my best to steal them away from another practice or anything like that. But my current LVT worked at a small animal emergency clinic and I knew that she was burning out and looking for something different. So I straight called her, cold called her and said, I've heard that you want to change and that you have some skill sets. How about you come work for me? And that's all it took. She was like, you know what? That sounds like exactly what I need. 
Um, I also want to encourage people to not overlook applicants because they have in their mind what a certain position should look like. One of my administrative assistants is 85 years old and she loves working from home and filing and processing Coggins paperwork. Nobody in their right mind loves processing Coggins paperwork. Not a single person loves it, but she does. She absolutely loves Coggins. She sounds valuable. <laughs> and CVIs and filing. She's very happy to work part-time whenever she wants. I don't control when she clocks in or clocks out. And she thinks it's the world's greatest thing. But a lot of people would overlook her because she's 85. Well, she's got job security, it sounds like. She can work as long as she wants. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going to work tomorrow and say, I've met somebody or I've heard of somebody that loves doing caucus and nobody will believe me. <laughs> Yeah. Miss K. Wow. Miss K loves Coggins. <laughs> Thank you. That's all good. Good input. Thank you. So one of the questions that people ask when you start talking about needing more support staff is, well, they're expensive and I'm really efficient on my own and I don't want to pay for other people. So Kelly, how do you justify the cost? I am going to quote my favorite graph from the AVMA AAEP economic report that looked at salaries of veterinarians who had support staff or, you know, it kind of sequential increases in the number of support staff within the team. And there is a known and objective increase in earning potential and in the salaries of veterinarians that have more people on the team. And so the numbers are out there and that's ABMA AEP reporting. I can anecdotally say that I can very quickly run the numbers on what type of appointments I can safely and efficiently see in a day, how many of them I can perform in a day with one or two you know, members helping me. And it, the returns are just right there in front of me. I feel very strongly like we just can't afford to not have the help, both from a financial perspective and really from a safety perspective. And um, many times in our area, from a client expectation, they are not going to be trotting the horse out for us or you know, cleaning them up and getting them ready for x-rays, really to work at the level of medicine that we want to and to, to feel safe and efficient doing it. I, I can't afford not to have the help. And how about yourself, Bridget? I mean, you have eight support staff, one vet. So we're talking at two to one ratio. You have an eight to one. So so how do you justify the cost? Just like Kelly said, it ends up paying for themselves. Absolutely. Even if you run my numbers with my staff heavy practice, even if you run my numbers through my accounting software, I still sit at the industry standard of only 20% of my gross goes into my payroll services, my non-DVM payroll services. And that's with eight staff members. And I pay competitively. I actually pay higher than a lot of other places equine side in my area. Absolutely. They pay for themselves. And what I want solo practitioners out there to ask themselves is how much is a boundary worth? How much is your mental health worth? And then is it really, truly healthy to ask yourself to work 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week as a veterinarian and then come home and do another 20, 30, 40 hours a week as an office manager. That's not a full-time job. That's two, sometimes three full-time jobs. And I, I don't want 
to have to kill myself to make a living. I hired my practice manager first and she paid for her salary in the first three months simply by taking over my billing and collections. Okay, Brigitte, follow that up. (laughs) That's quite the testimonial. Bridget, I think you really hit the nail on the head. You know, mental soundness is just everything, especially nowadays. And me as an associate, that's what is really important to me. And my happiness with my job has increased so much since we added my second assistant and the equine coordinator, just having so much taken off my plate and just allowing me to be a veterinarian and not my own technician and my own receptionist. It just is the stress is half of what it used to be. And I'm so much more efficient. I wish I had some numbers, but we're able to get so much done now. We're still not even sure. We're still increasing the appointment load every day to see, well, how much can I really fit in there? And we'll have days that are so what we think is overscheduled. And then I'm done by four. Like, okay, well, what do we do now? Because we just get so much done. The other day I went and we got out and did a lameness and x-rays and talked to the client. And I think we bandaged a leg and we were out of there all in a time span of 17 minutes. It's, it's just been great, really fast. Yeah. We're a well-oiled machine now. Yeah. And then the question becomes is how can you live without them? How can you afford not to have them? Absolutely. It's a safety thing. Just like Kelly was saying, it's a safety thing and your staff keeps you safe. It really does. I had another like important thing and I got completely sidetracked with the safety thing. Yeah, I'll come back to it. That leads us well into the next question, which is what are the typical duties your techs or assistants perform? And I'd like to start with Brigitte. I know you commonly have two techs with you. You know, as a side question here, I'm kind of curious what each of your state practice acts allow. We can cover that second question in a minute, but let's start with Brigitte, how, the nuts and bolts of how you utilize two folks with you in the truck. Yeah, it's hard to say in a short amount of time because they do so much for me. We get out at a farm call and I never stop walking and I never stop talking. For example, if we're at a barn vaccinating a barn full of horses, you know, I'm just walking down from horse to horse. They're putting the vaccines in my hand as I'm talking to the owners. They're getting the temperatures. They're recording everything for me. They pull everything up. They throw everything away. It's just very fluid all the time. They uh, do as many client callbacks as they can. When we're at appointments, we'll divide and conquer. If we know one horse has a bandage that needs to come off, a wound that needs to be scrubbed, they go get that while the other one's setting up the x-ray and I'm talking to a client. It's, it's great. Perfect. And who is doing the driving call to call? So the technician will do the driving. And then the other one that sits in the back seat, she is responsible for calling the next appointment before we get there. She's also our gate opener. I get car sick. So she puts in all the invoices and notes for me, unless it's something really complicated. And I'll try and do that before we even get on the road. So that way, by the time we come in at the end of the day, all of my notes and invoices and callbacks are done. We just get there, we unload, restock for the next day. There's very little time at the clinic at the end of the day. I love it. Are they assistants or are they CVT, LVT? They are assistants, yes. I have um, one that is applying to vet school 
right now. And then the other one, she came in about a year ago with zero veterinary experience, but just a good horse experience. So, you know, I really rely on her for the horse handling and she is really good with our equipment. And then my other one is like, she's, you know, my right hand man and I can ask her to do absolutely anything. And she loves it because she's learning so much. That's a great opportunity for her too. Uh, Bridget, let's shift over to you. How does your day work? Do you have one or two text assistants with you? So I only have the one that rides with me and I rotate through my part-time technicians. One is a certified technician and one is an assistant that rides with me in the truck. And then I have my facility manager that sort of runs everything at home and everybody does their own thing. This kind of leads into another question that I know we discussed that was going to happen down the road. But when I looked at what's my staff going to do, right? What is my staff going to do? And I'm talking about whole support staff. I looked up my state practice act. So I'm in Texas. Basically, I looked up the definition of veterinary medicine, according to the state of Texas. And if it's not surgery, prescribing, diagnosing, or prognosing, which is all the definition of veterinary medicine, I'm not doing it then that means it can be delegated. If it's not the definition of veterinary medicine in your state, why is the non-veterinarian not doing it? Veterinarians should do veterinary things and staff should do staff things. I will say that I drive simply because if I don't drive, I'm a nervous wreck. (laughs) But my staff does everything. Everything that isn't veterinary medicine. Great. (laughs) Sounds like you've Uh, really maximize your staff. That's perfect. Kelly, tell us about your techs and assistants. We're also pretty lucky in the state of California that it is very um, open and welcoming to the utilization of veterinary assistants and veterinary technicians. Very similar, you know, definitions and many things can be done under indirect supervision. Some things under direct supervision, which is being on the same farm together. We have a similar mantra to Bridget, which is only do what only you can do. And so that goes for doctors only doing the work that they can do down to veterinary technicians who are licensed doing what they can do, assistants doing what they can do, externs doing what they can do. We really start our day before jumping out of the vehicle and go through the schedule. And I'm lucky enough, I only work two days a week now. And so my days are oftentimes packed at a single barn, um, which is great because more people can come. So there are some days where I have three people with me um, because they're not all going to fit in the car, but they can show up to one place and, and then we get to work. And we'll look at the schedule and we'll say, if I'm going to start going and talking to the clients, you can start doing X, Y, and Z, get the x-ray set up, get the shockwave done. We have a plan in place and everybody knows what their roles are. There are often days where I'm just kind of being the puppet master and being present if something needs to be seen or done or a heart escolts abnormally and we need to check it before we sedate or a client has a question. We really do try to do that as much as possible in the field. And then we're also really leaning on the support team at home. Those Coggins inputs, you know, we're taking the pictures, we're sending the description, it's getting emailed over to the team and the Coggins is submitted. And all we have to do is pop the blood in the mail. 
we have had uh, an outbreak of vesicular stomatitis here in California and have been doing CBIs up and down, you know, left and right. And the timing has been very intense. You know, you have to be 72 hours before horses go to a show. We have it all dialed in. The team at home is ready to input our temperatures and all of that. So, you know, it's ready for me to sign by the time I get through and get the last temperature taken on the horse. So we're, we're utilizing people in the field, but really also leaning on the people back at home who can more quickly get data entry done for us. So a question I have, and this is one of the things that I struggle with my own practice, is after a while, it gets kind of stale uh, in some jobs. And we try to create opportunities for support staff to grow into new roles. So Kelly, we'll continue on our conversation. I mean, do your duties change over the years with your receptionists or your technicians? How, what does that look like in your practice? Absolutely. For the receptionists, we start everybody off really just getting comfortable with the workflow and our expectations for scheduling, getting to know the client so that when they call, they can you know, jump in and, and help them and empathize and recognize who they are and have that, that bond and connection. From there, we add on additional you know, side projects that become each support team member's kind of baby. So whether that's coordinating vaccination clinics or doing inventory management oversight, um, everybody kind of owns something um, and becomes the master at it and then become responsible for training new people and how to do it. And then as far as uh, work within the field team, there's huge growth. I'll give an example of our registered vet tech right now, Sue. She started off with me straight out of school, wanted to do small animal, and I pulled her over to um, the right side, I'll say. And she you know, started with just driving in the field with us, us being really an assistant, you know, embarrassingly enough, kind of being the hitching post that we, you, we shouldn't do. She has now been with the practice, I think, five years and is at the point now where she is actually scheduled one or two days a week on her own and sees her own log of appointments. She went out and wanted to get her bodywork certification. So she does equine massage and has a full and rotating schedule for that. We rescheduled this podcast. Thank you very much because I was sick last week and you know, things happen quickly and I wasn't able to come in. We actually shifted 75% of my appointments onto her day. And so two people of my full schedule had to be rescheduled. One, because she just wanted to see me and was willing to wait. The other, because it was something that I needed to do as a veterinarian. So there's huge growth and, and huge opportunities and like pretty nice to not have the entire schedule disrupted because I was out. So that's been a, a really big plus for us. And can you give a few examples of what kind of appointments she's able to see? Yeah. So one of the appointments that she went to on Friday was really just a, and it was an exceed shot, a follow-up day four. She needed to go out there and give it. It was 45 minutes away. A doctor doesn't have to go and do that and spend quite a bit of drive time. Uh, while she was there, she actually noticed that the horse was lame and called me and said, I don't think it's, I'm not here for this. We did a FaceTime telehealth. So that's a whole nother podcast, but she was able to hoof test for me. She was able to do my physical, physical exam. 
I was able to call the owner and we put a plan in place. Um, so that was sort of a popped up, but it saved somebody going out there on emergency for this lame horse. She does shockwave appointments with the guidance of the veterinarians for what type of sedation needs to be done. Typically horses that have already had an exam and have been done once. So we know how they're going to react. She does laser appointments, all of our repeating Adequan shots, bandage changes, monthly legend shot, you name it. Uh, vaccination appointments she'll she'll go and do. That's great. I'm glad. And she really has has a, an important role there. Huge. Yeah. That's fascinating. Bridget, how about yourself? I mean, do the roles that your te- your support staff have change over time? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Or like I said before, I really, I kind of headhunt people for what I need in my team and where they're going to fit. And then I push them to grow as much as they want to grow. And that's something that was really hard for me as a crazy hard charger to accept is not everybody wants a lot of continuing education and to change their job. Some people are really happy with where they're at for whatever reason. Maybe their life space is just where they're at. And like my 85-year-old admin assistant doesn't want to use her CE budget. She doesn't care, right? But, uh, but my LVT, who came over from Small Animal, she does want to use her CE budget. And she does want to be a bigger, more prominent role in the clinic and possibly thinking about taking on and learning about doing something like payroll and learning about scheduling and invoicing and all of those things. So I let people learn at the pace that is good for them and in the way that is good for them. So it's very self-directed and they just know that whatever pace and whatever direction they want to go, I will support. I've had assistants that have been licensed in massage therapy. I have one right now. One of my assistants is licensed in massage therapy. She's thinking about getting certified as a veterinary technician to then be able to increase what she can and cannot do under different levels of supervision. My LVT can't wait to increase her skill set and her comfort level to where she can then go out in the truck and do those things like laser appointments and bandage changes and Those are things that vets don't have to do. And if your state practice act allows that under different levels of supervision, then let it go. Absolutely let it go. One of the other things that I think is support staff is only expensive if you're not using them well. If you are using your support staff well, they pay for themselves. So, and that's really where like LVTs can really help those of us that are solo equine and rural practice and increase access to care because it is so much more cost effective to buy an LVT a truck than it is to find and buy an associate a truck. And you can increase your workload and they can pay for their salary very, very quickly. That's just business sense. Yeah. And Brigitte, uh, yourself, I mean, how do the roles of your support staff change over time? Yeah, with us having such a big clinic and we have the small animal side, uh, a lot of them will either start as a receptionist and then they'll move to be a small animal technician or a small animal technician will get to come out and ride on ambulatory days. And then if they really get good at that and like it, then maybe they'll become one of the ambulatory doctors, main technicians. And then, you know, if someone is out, our person who does our, all of our Coggins and labs, she was gone on vacation for a week. So then the equine coordinator had to very quickly learn her job to fill that in. There's just so many facets. Everyone moves around. And then 
in the end, you you find what you really like, and then you get good at everything. And it just makes you a more well-rounded employee. Perfect. Thank you all for your input. We've kind of touched on this a little bit, but can you tell me what impact does having good support staff around you have on you? Let's actually jump back to Kelly. I think it really does all of the things that we've talked about previously. It gives a bit more financial stability and I guess wiggle room there. It offers a bit more of a parachute, if you will, on those days where something comes up. You're sick, the associate's kid is sick, a bunch of emergencies pop up, and now you need to veer one way and send your register tech another direction and still get people taken care of. So I think there's those tangible improved finances, improved accessibility. And then there's the intangible benefits, which are those safety measures, uh, the efficiencies, and really like those moments of getting in the car and having somebody to share the like, what just happened? Or, or like, we just took care of that, you know, patient and that was really intense for a minute there, but we worked together and did it. You know, having somebody to share that with in the moment um, and really appreciate it is huge from a, a mental health and a getting out of practice the joys um, that we all got into it for. I think being able to share it with it with somebody else is really wonderful. Absolutely. And Bridget, let's shift over to you. What impact does having this team surrounding you have on you? So I think one of the things that is a constant conversation in AAEP is how do we improve the quality of life for solo practitioners that are doing it all themselves? Well, the answer to that is don't do it all yourself, right? And that improves your quality of life. I was miserable as an associate, absolutely miserable. Like I almost left the profession and was going to be done until some other stuff happened and and I went into practice on my own. But then taking the opportunity as a solo practitioner to make my life and make my practice and make my team what I wanted it to be has been awesome. And I have, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I have banks and, and people who evaluate my practice look at me and ask, how am I making as much money as I am being a solo DBM? Like, how is this even possible? I actually got accused by one guy of cooking my books. That was super fun. That was a super fun conversation. <laughs> the answer is I'm only doing what vets can do, right? And and my staff does everything else. And there are days that, yeah, just like Kelly said, you get in the truck and you're like, what was that? <laughs> like, what was that? Yeah. Yeah. What was that? And it's just, a, it's nice to have somebody else there to be like, I didn't just do that by myself. Like somebody else can verify that that really went that sideways. <laughs> but we survived and we did okay. Or just, you know, hey, we did a really good job today. Like coming home at the end of a day when it's crazy booked. And uh, Brigitte, like you said, where, you know, you get home, and it's like four o'clock and you're like, there's no way that I was going to make this day work. But somehow the day worked. You can't do that stuff without staff. And that's how we're going to retain talent is with good staff and people helping you improve your quality of life. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. It's, it's just not as lonely when everyone, you know, it's, it's our day and our clients. It's not just my day and, and my assistants are helping me. It's we're a team and we're helping each other. So we do kind of share the journey together. And as much as we try and help them to figure out what they do best so they can do it, it's, it's also helping me be able to do what I do best because the things that they're good at, I am not good at. And, and that is what's stressful to me. I can't remember to stock certain things or to call certain people. I can diagnose things. I can't do all this other stuff. So I, I rely on them so much. And I'm so spoiled now. It's like I get frustrated when I have to go get the, you know, controlled drugs from the safe because that's the one thing that they can't do. Or I have to go pull the Coggins blood, even though I know they're perfectly capable of doing it. I'm, I'm just very spoiled now and I, I recognize it and I'm very thankful for it. I really enjoy hearing all of these stories about the support staff teams you all have. I'm going to be the devil's advocate now. So we have been praising and just lifting up support staff, but can't be perfect, can it? So, Brigitte, we'll continue with you. So, like, what are challenges that you do have with support staff? Yeah, you know, I think in the beginning when they start and we're figuring out what they're good at, you know, we might have had an idea that they were going to do X, Y, and Z for us. And then it turns out that that's actually not their strong suit. So, you know, the other technicians are picking up slack sometimes and they have to be patient while we all figure it out. So there are some bumps in the road when we get new staff on. And how about you, Bridget? I mean, you've got eight, so every day can't be perfect. No, because I have eight women and eight women is a lot of women. So full disclosure, I'm a former Women Veterinary Leadership Development Initiative president. Like I'm all about strong women, but that means I have a team of eight strong women and not every day is perfect. (laughs) It's all about communication, really. And in all honesty, it's about communication. It's about celebrating the positives, right? A lot more often than you focus on the negatives. It's okay to review the negatives. It's okay to recognize that there are negatives. It's not okay to focus on the negatives because again, everything needs to be mission focused, right? And how are we going to move forward? I think one of the things that you have to be really careful of is what's the nature and what's the culture in your clinic. And as long as you have a good positive culture, within your clinic, then all of the little things stay little, right? People can work it out. People feel like they have a safe space and they can just be like, yep, you know what? I'm just short tempered today. I need a mental health day. Cool. Whatever. Go ahead. You need a mental health day. Take a mental health day. And they feel comfortable enough saying, you know what, guys, I'm just done. I can't today. And we all get it because we have that practice culture. I've worked really hard to have that kind of a practice culture. Not every day is perfect, but if it's okay. But you've brought up culture so much, and I would 100% agree with you. I like how you say if you've got a good culture, those things become stay little. They're not nightmares. They're not dramas. They're not taking over the rest of the day. Kelly, yourself, what challenges do you have with support staff? Fitting everybody in the car, but I want to go with me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that it truly, the logistics sometimes of, you know, we have enough support team to bring more than one tech with us, but we also drive hybrid SUVs to try and be 
environmentally sustainable and save on, you know, gas and everything. So, so that can be a challenge, you know, how everybody gets from point A to point B and what makes the most sense. Uh, the other thing that no one else has mentioned that I know somebody's listening and thinking is what do you do when it's quiet? What do you do when you have all of these staff members and you're in, you know, downtime or off season or there's a bunch of doctors on vacation? Uh, and so we've really used that time for additional training of the team. They do their own wet labs to to try to build skills. Uh, and that's where everyone kind of taking ownership of some of those side projects offers them the time to to fill in and still get the hours that they want and need. So th- those to me would be the big challenges, just the, the logistics and making sure everyone's working efficiently, even on quiet days. One thing real quick about the quiet days, it takes some forethought and some planning as the business side of it, right? But I actually prefer to hire and train my new staff in my off season, because that means that I can take the time to go through everything and we aren't rushed. And yes, that means that I have a little bit more staff than I truly need during my off season because I do a lot of reproduction. So I do have an off season, but at the same point, That means that by the time that February 1st rolls around and we are hitting the ground rolling, I have a fully trained staff member who was able to take their time and get it done and now is the confidence to be able to do it right. So you have to plan for cash flow for sure as a business owner, but there is a way to get it done and to to level out those slow times. Yeah, additional training, all of those types of things, but some of it also comes with some business sense as well. Yeah, that's a good tip. Does anybody have any feedback on retention strategies, Brigitte? It's just helpful that we have so many different places to let them go where they're happiest. And, you know, sometimes they'll drive with one doctor and not another. And I think we just try and be aware of of these things and take their feelings seriously. We, We really don't have a huge turnover at our practice. One one is uh, our lab Coggins person has been there for like 30 years. It's been a long time. And my last technician was with me for three or four years, just until she got into vet school. And my current one will be with me till she gets into vet school. So I, I don't know, but there is something about our, our practice that I think overall, you know, we have a pretty good culture there as well. Culture is a big deal. Kelly, do you have any feedback on retention? I do. We know from the National Vet Tech Association that the reason people leave are, you know, the challenges that our assistants face are, again, similar to equine veterinarians. It's salary. So making sure that we're paying our employees fair and appropriate wages. Um, and it's also underutilization, not using them to the top of their skill set can be really big. So One of the things that we've done in our practice, and I'm going to give a plug to the AAEP Practice Culture Subcommittee because there's a great resource available for everyone. We developed a stay interview format that, you know, I check in with the team and find out where their interests lie, find out where there are pain points and try to address those. Um, Because I do really think that that shows them that I'm invested I'm not just with words, but with the actions of supporting, making sure that they're giving, you know, given opportunities to develop. So um, check that out. It's a great resource available for you from AAEP and I think a great way to 
to help retain those team members. Excellent. And Bridget, do you have any retention feedback? Underutilization. If we can attack the underutilization and use your team at the top of their skill set, whatever they are comfortable with their skill set being and wherever they want their skill set to be, then you don't have retention issues. I think one of the things that a plug for one of my favorite organizations is the AAEVT. AAEVT dues are cheap. It's $60 a year. And their training program is expensive. It's $1,800 for their training program. But it is one of the most solid, exceptional online training programs that exists specific to equine practice. And I will plug it all day long. Every single one of my staff members that wants a membership in an organization gets it. My practice manager is a member of the VHMA, the Hospital Managers Association. I've offered that to all of my receptionists if they want. Every single one of my technicians and my mare embryo manager, who is not a technician, but she deals with the embryos. She's a member of AAEVT. If they want to go through the program, I will fully support them going through the program. Those are just ways to to check in with your team and to help them grow. And $60 a year to help them know that they're not alone and that they have access to all these resources is a drop in the bucket. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That is great to know. What possibilities do you all see for increasing efficiencies in the future with your support staff? You are all doing a fantastic job from what I'm hearing, but do you have anything on, on your radar for the future for things you might want to change? Let's, can we start with Brigitte? Personally, we are waiting on a Holland facility to be built. So I think that'll be an absolute game changer for us right now. We have a, the garage of the small animal clinic, which is great that we have somewhere, but I, I think that's our main focus, maybe not the most helpful thing <laughs> to add, but uh, you're probably going to need some more support staff. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I wouldn't see in your future. And then Kelly, any thoughts for future vision for support staff? I'm really excited. I have two of the vet assistants going through uh, an expedited licensing program. It's online and it's catered to individuals who are actually working full time and have um, the technical experience already. You know, similar to Bridget, investing in the team. These are two individuals that showed a keen interest, have been active and contributing members. And so we at Starwood are supporting them going and getting the education and licensing. And that's going to enable us to have more people that can go out in the field and do this work. But it also gives them an opportunity to earn more and take on more responsibility. So I'm really excited about the fact that there are those programs available. And, and we have two people in it right as we speak. They're in class right now. <laughs> That is great. And Bridget, uh, any vision for the future for your support staff? Like Brigitte, I'm waiting on a Holland facility. So once I have a Holland facility, obviously my support staff uh, will change. I actually envision, and I've joked around with my current LVT quite a bit, I would love an army of LVTs, an army of LVTs. I would love to be able to leave an LVT at the Holland facility to do triage so that I, I can be out in the field. And if somebody has a laceration or a colic, it can still get seen even if I'm 45 minutes away and treatment can be initiated. I would love to have two or three LVTs in trucks doing things and expanding my practice in ways that, that they can. And I see 
with the addition of the small animal veterinarian, I see an LVT also doing follow-up routine small animal visits on their own. I would like an army of LVTs. That's my goal. <laughs> I think you're going to have it. <laughs> Build it and they will come. Fingers crossed. Do you have any thoughts on um, or have you considered doing any like support staff bonuses um, to go along with practice success? We you know, individually try and do nice things for them, buy them lunch and things they need and just support them doctor to doctor. Nice. And Bridget, do you have anything to add? We do a couple of things. We have um, a profit sharing schedule for the entire team um, at the end of the year. Uh, And then the assistants and technicians who go out and see appointments on their own, whether it's laser, anything really, they're paid on a different hourly rate. So they're paid $5 an hour more when they're out by themselves. So they see, you know, a premium there. Uh, And then our RVT who does help actually with triaging um, and has gone, you know, to emergencies to get an SAA running or, you know, to kind of buy us a little bit of time until we can get there if we need to, um, she will actually be paid the emergency fee, much like we pay our associates the emergency fee. That's cool. Can I just ask a question for Kelly? Just uh, Do you find that there's jealousy between the techs? Like, I want to go on the road. I want to do that by myself because uh, I want to make the extra $5 an hour. That's a great question. There's not jealousy. There's actually a lot of, of team effort and there's motivation for those who are not licensed to go and get this licensing. So I think that's driven um, two of these individuals being really game to go through a pretty rigorous, I think it's 13 weeks every night of the week. And we also will sometimes send the RVT with an assistant. And so when they're doing that, I also consider that solo work and they are paid at that higher rate still. So no jealousy. It's more of like excitement that they're getting to do it. And they'll even in some of our meetings say like, well, that's an appointment that Sue could do. You know, should we put that on Sue's schedule instead of the doctor's schedule? So there's actually um, quite a bit of, of teamwork and excitement about that, which I think is pretty cool. That's awesome. I actually do bonus and the bonuses are tiered based on full-time, part-time, and then level of work and how long you've been around. It's it's Unfortunately, it's not nearly as tailored as Kelly's, but I love her ideas. And as I grow, I will definitely be calling her to work on some actual implementation of things like that. I think one of the things that we really need to focus on as leaders and not even just practice owners, you know, because Brigitte is a leader in her practice as an associate, as leaders that are dealing with support staff is making sure that we are rewarding the support staff and motivating the support staff the way that they wish to be rewarded and motivated. It's not about the money for everybody. As an example, for the, I hired my practice manager first before I hired any technicians or anything like that. And for the first three years that I had her, at the end of every year, I would sit down with her and I would say, okay, I can afford to raise your salary or hire you an assistant. What do you want? And every year she chose assistant for three and a half years until we finally felt like her workload was good enough and she felt happy and we had enough staff and the workload was divided and everybody was doing okay. Then she was like, okay, I think I'm good. I would like a raise now. 
she gave up a raise to have help. And that's what motivated her. And that's what rewarded her. So make sure that you're checking in with your team. It's not about money for everybody. It does come down to communication. That's the good example of it. Wow. We have covered a lot. So thank you very much. Just as a shameless plug, Bridget and I are presenting on this subject at the AAP. So that's four months away. Uh, we're doing a presentation in the, pro- in the business management session. And so by that time, your small animal vet would have started. And we'll see how your fledgling army is doing. <laughs> also, other shameless plug, I am additionally speaking at the AAEVT as well. So register, all, get them all memberships, register them all for the conference and send them all my way. Excellent. Great. What What is your topic on? Staff utilization. Wonderful. <laughs> we start off the conversation, I was saying, it's going to be so exciting to see people at the AP. And all of a sudden, just like tonight, I've gotten excited. And it's also listening to everyone speak here. I feel a lot more confident in our profession because people are doing exciting things and they're they're doing the things that, as we've said so much, is if it doesn't need to have a vet to do it, let's have somebody else do it. So we can get through this vet shortage and we can build better practices that people want to be a part of. And all of this really bodes well for our profession. We've had a rough patch, but boy, you can feel the momentum changing and great things are starting to happen. And it's with people like yourselves that are, are driving that change. So bravo and thank you. And also thank you to Beringer Engelheim for their support. We are all better as we're talking with others to support us. And so Beringer gives us the opportunity to share these important messages to AEP members. So thank you all. Thank you for contributing, doctors. Thank you so much. Thanks for the invite. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com slash company slash contact.